Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Good morning. Hello. Grab your Bibles. Turn it up. You could grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, uh, Hairspray and Crew will give you some. We are primarily going to be in Luke chapter 9, but we will be moving around. Okay, I got an important question for you guys. So if you could listen up to this question and try to come up with an answer. I was going to have you guys get in groups and answer this question, but I'm not for right now. What reasons, what three reasons would you give God to allow you to live another 15 years? I know, weird question, right? Kind of stopped me in my tracks, and it came from here. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. There was never another king like him in the land of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. The part that stuck out to me here says, there was never another king like him in the land of Judah, either before or after which is not just he's unique. Second Kings is saying he was the best king of all time. It's saying he was the goat. Now, some of you may not know what that means. In fact, I'm discovering a lot of people don't know what that means. In fact, I had a friend that heard someone else called a goat. said, dude, that dude's the goat. And um, he's like, oh, how disrespectful. Why would you call that guy that? Goat means greatest of all time. So if you didn't know that, now you know, and if you hear someone else call someone a goat, so Hezekiah was the goat. Right here, it's saying 2 Kings 18, he was the goat, the greatest of all time in terms of kings. But this is what happens to Hezekiah later in his life, Isaiah 38, 1 through 5, and this is the message, says that he was about to die. So not just like he had a pimple, no, this was to death. So Isaiah was sent by the Lord to him, and this is what Isaiah says to him, prepare your affairs and your family. This is it. You're going to die, and you're not going to get well. So Hezekiah turns away, and says he faces the wall. I don't know why he faced the wall, but it says, turned away from Isaiah, faces the wall, and prays to God, God, please, I beg you, remember how I've lived my life. I've lived faithfully in your presence. I've lived out of a heart that was totally yours. You've seen how I've lived, the good that I've done. So he's giving reasons why, like, you should probably keep me here. And then God said, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Here's what I'll do. I'll add 15 years to your life. Now, I don't want you to get confused here. I don't want you to get distracted. I don't want you to think um, that what we do with our life is an exchange with God for God to give us extra minutes here. 
That's not what we're talking about. The theme that we're going to be going through for the next six weeks is what on earth am I here for? And by Hezekiah being forced into this situation, by him getting sick, he was able to step back and look back at his life, but now he gets to look forward too. So this is not about, well, if I do this and I do that, then God's going to give me more life. Because I'm telling you, as soon as God takes you home, you're going to be stoked. But we need to answer the question, but why am I here? What on earth am I here on earth to do? That's what we're going to look at for the next six weeks. And that's why I gave you that question, three reasons. Because, well, Hezekiah basically gave three reasons. We're not going to go through his three reasons because that's not the point. But what are you here on earth to do? Um, there's a few books that have like one sentence that starts the book. They're so good. There's, a few, there's, there's, there's three that stick out in my mind. Um, one is the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a good sentence to start a book, isn't it? Like that just gets right to it. And then the rest of the Bible just flows from that. And it comes out of that for God. So you're saying in the beginning, but God was already there. Which came first? Well, God. Before the beginning was God. And what did he do? He created. And there's another book I really like. I read it in college um, by Scott Peck. And in the very beginning, it says this. One sentence, three words. Life is difficult, period. That's a good start to a book. What we're doing through this series, um, there's, there's a book that we're kind of going along with it. We're not doing the sermons off of that, um, and even some of the small group questions aren't off of that, but it's a book to read at the same time, and it's called What on Earth Am I Here For? And it's by Rick Warren, which is basically a retitled, rebranded version of Purpose Driven Life. And in the beginning of that book, there's one sentence. And when someone handed me the book the first time, I'm like, yeah, whatever, Purpose Driven Life, what a lame name. And so I got the book, and the very first sentence says, it's not about you. That's a good sentence to start a book. And when it comes to what on earth am I here for, it's not about me. We're trained to ask these selfie questions. I don't mean selfies, although it kind of goes with selfies. Here's one of the questions that we, we've been trained to ask. One of the questions that, well, how can I feel most alive? That's a pretty, that's a pretty good question, right? Nothing, nobody would see anything wrong with that. Or um, what, are, what are my dreams? Or someone may ask you, what are your dreams? What do you want to do with your life? Those are good questions, right? We're familiar. What are my goals? Um, what do I want to be? But all of those are selfie questions. All of those are questions that are not why you're here on this earth. That's not why we're here. They're not bad. They're not bad questions. But that's not why we're here. And so my hope is, is that by us looking into God's words this morning, that we will be able to look in and hopefully see a little bit clearer what on earth are we here for. And I think it focuses around that sentence, it's not all about you. So if you have your Bibles... Um, we're going to stay primarily in Luke chapter 9, and as we typically do, we will bounce around, um, but right now, if you could go to Luke chapter 9, and um, we're getting so technological now that I get lost. So here we are, Luke nine twenty three. Right before this, um, Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And they say, you're the Messiah, the King the Son of God. 
And then, does it just keep changing? Did, didn't I have something else up? And then it switched, right? Okay, let's try this again. All right. So he says to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus is going to start dealing with this question, these selfie questions. He's going to try to redirect us. What on earth am I here for? And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, which means a student, a follower, an apprentice, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, if Jesus' intention was to brand Christianity, not a good approach. Because he's saying take up their cross. To us, we think of the cross. We're like, oh, the cross. To them, he's basically saying whoever wants to follow me has to deny themselves and take up their electric chair. Whoever wants to follow me must take up their firing squad and follow me. That's not really a winsome statement there. That's not going to win you any branding awards. But he's trying to tell them, look, this is what it's about. I've come, they call him a rabbi, they call him a teacher, and some people call him Lord. But if they're going to call him that, then they've got to follow him. And if they're going to follow him, that means they're saying, look, you have the answers to why we're here on earth and what we should be doing. So guide us. And he starts with this. All right, then take up your cross. Uh, cross? That's where people go to die. That's where they take people and they die. And so what he's saying is, is that if you're going to follow me, you need to die. And he says, not only possibly physically, but especially in our hearts. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or their very soul? And when I saw that passage and I was thinking through this, it just brought me right to this verse. Because I believe this is Jesus' answer to these questions. What do I want to be? He's like, look, those aren't bad questions, but that's not what you're here on earth for. Because if you focus around yourself, whoever wants to save their life, meaning that life that's wrapped around you, that life where you're orbiting around yourself, and you make the entire world orbit around you, that's not what you're here for. You're not here to acquire you're not here to grab trophies or money or attention because, as we talked about, Jesus said, I've come so that you can have life and have it to the full. And as we talked about over these past few weeks, that fullness is that overflowing life. And these questions, what do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals? What are my dreams? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? All of those type of questions, we ask those questions because we, we want to be full. But the answer to these questions will not create that fullness. Jesus says, if you really want this fullness, then you need to ditch that life you're seeking. Whoever loses their life for me or for my sake, meaning because they're following me, because they're trusting me. You're taking your intentions, your goals for your life, you're putting them to the side, and you're looking to me to answer that question, what on earth am I here for? As we turn to God and ask him, answer that question for me, then you will find it. And practically speaking, he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self, their very soul? 
Later on in Genesis, it says this. We were created in the image of God. And what that means is, is that you were created to look like God. Doesn't say that about cats. Doesn't say that about trees. We are the only beings created in the image. We're not talking noses. We're not talking eyes. We're talking about who we are, how we were designed. But in a similar way, if you were to see pictures of my kids and me when I was a kid, you're like, oh my gosh, it's like they were created in his image. Right? Like I can look, because I get this unique version. I get to stare out here and see all of you. And I can look at Michelle and look at her daughter. And I'm like, mm, yep, she was created in her image. You can tell. You can walk up to someone, hi, and they're like about to introduce the person next to them. And they're like, uh, that person's related to you. You can just tell. Do you know that you were created to look like God? Where people see you and go, oh, you look a lot like. I know some of you are going, oh, I'm so far off the mark. You're missing the point here. This is how God describes himself. We've been going through it over and over again, right? For the past few weeks, John 3, 16. This is how God describes himself. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's what God does. God is so full, he's not hungry that he gives. We had a situation in our house uh, this week where it's one of my kids' birthdays. And um, he was ordering something on Amazon, which we've cut, by the way. I'm like, how'd that happen? Who gave the kids the passwords? So that's done. But for his birthday, he bought himself something. And then he, uh, he bought this other thing. And it was something his brother wanted. I was like, how lame is that? His brother really wanted this. He's like, oh, look, I'm going to get that for myself. Boop, and bought it for himself, right? Well, I found out yesterday, um, the brother came up. He's like, wow. He bought that for me. So he didn't buy it for himself. He bought it to give away. So for some reason, one of my sons felt overflowing. And when you feel that way, you want to give. That's how God is. My one son looked at Amazon. Oh, look, I can just spend as much as I want. It's like free. I just press buttons. I don't, ha I don't have to worry about there not being enough. And so when he was at that stage, he bought something for someone else. That's what God does. God has a limitless supply. He's the king of Amazon. He's the king of life. And so he gives. That's in his nature. And it's in our nature. It's part of who we are to give. Jesus said this. He said in Mark 10, 45. See, I get so excited. I, that's why I have to have the notes to slow me down so I can go to show you these passages. So let me show you here. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, that, said this. For even the Son of Man, did not come for a selfie. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life away, to give his life as a ransom for many. It's in his nature. Um, I was telling uh, Greg uh, right when he walked off the stage, I went, dude, that was so good. We should have just stretched that out into a sermon. He goes, no, I can only go for a little bit. So I went, I think you can stretch that out to 20 minutes because he was afraid I was going to have him turn it into a sermon. I was going to ask him to start teaching, which may happen. So brace yourself, Greg. But in the, what he was reading is very similar to this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he did it cheerfully. It says in the Word of God, 
to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him willingly endured the cross. He went to the cross willingly. He was a cheerful giver. It's in his nature. And then Jesus teaching to us the greatest commandment. And remember as we've talked about with these commandments, God commands us because it's what's best for us. He's not like, he's not like some of us parents who want the room a certain way and we get all irritated when things aren't put where they're supposed to be. It's the perfect reflection of parenthood. When God commands us to do things because it's what's best for us. When we talk about God's wrath, and God's wrath is real, it's not about punishment. It's about anger because he loves us so much and he wants what's best for us and we choose not to do it. We choose to go off in another direction. And by doing that, we end up bringing punishment on ourselves and it makes God angry. Just like we do for those that we love. And so he gives us a commandment here because he loves us. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, which is another way to say that everything, everything hinges on this. This is how God is teaching us. This is how Jesus lived it out. This is how God lives, and we are created in his image. We were meant to be givers. And when you give, when you love, when you love God, when you love others, it's going to cost. There is a sacrifice involved. But when you abide in him, and he abides in you, then you're full. And you don't have to be worried about there not being enough. You've got plenty to live this life. Well, what if I live, if I'm here on earth, and I'm here to give, if I'm here to give my life away, what if there's not enough for me? That's not the way to look at it because that's not correct. That's why Jesus is trying to guide us. That's why he came so that we could have life and have it to the full. But if we live for ourselves rather than living to love God and to love others, then we won't experience this full, overflowing life. That's what we're here on earth to do. We have to teach our children. I'm pointing in this direction because we've got, upstairs we've got the babies, right? Yeah, the babies are upstairs. And then over there we've got junior high and we've got the elementary kids. We've got our high schoolers in here. When they ask the question, what am I here for? I hope we're not saying, hey, you need to go to college. That's what you're here for. Because you need to go to college and then you need to get a good job. You need a great job so you have flexible hours. You need to have good money. Make sure it pays well because if it pays well, then, then you can get married. And then when you get married, you'll have enough to send your, your kids to college and then they'll be able to and then they'll be. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But we need to be telling our children, teaching our children, modeling to our children, you are here on this earth to discover what gifts God has given you what passions he's given you. And you need to take those desires and those passions 
and you need to give them away to love God and to love others, to bless others. That's why you're here. Don't be lazy. You need to work hard. You need to enjoy this life that God has given you. This is not just work, 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 work. God has given you this to enjoy. But you're also here on earth because you get to enjoy him forever. But you're here on earth to love God and to love others. And you need to ask the question, God, how can I best do this? Colossians says it this way. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. It's by us abiding in our creator that we can discover what we're here for. I mean, if I were to go into some of the villages that we've been to in deep, deep third world countries, and I were to hold up this microphone and show this to them, they would have no idea what it was for. But if I bought the designer from Shure with me, and he was holding it, he could tell them exactly what it was for, and how it was meant to be used, and what size. In fact, he could probably tell us why this thing is not working, and why my little headpiece keeps going in and out, because he designed it. He knows how it's supposed to work, and he knows what the obstacles are that are keeping it from working. By any chance, is that guy in this room? <laughs> not here? If we want to discover what we're here for, everything began. In the beginning, God created. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. So, what are we here for? Now, we, we want every time that we share from the word of God to make it as practical as possible and to give specific directions. And how, Okay, that's great. It's not about me. It's about me pouring my life out for others to, to copy as a disciple, as a student, as an apprentice, to follow Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the very nature of a servant. So I need to live as a servant. Okay, how do I do that? How do I practically do that? And so I'm just going to share how I tried to do it. This is not the only way to do it, but here's some things that I try to do, because you've got to answer this question. What are you going to do with the next 15 years that you have here on earth? What are you going to do with the next 30? Maybe you only have a year. Maybe you only have six months. Maybe you got three days. God doesn't tell us that ahead of time. In fact, this is the only time I've ever heard that happening. Hezekiah, you got 15. How's that to know exactly how much time you got left? You take your little iPhone, you hit the timer, and boom, you hit start, and you know. Or you can fill it with 15,000 gumballs, and you start pulling them out every day, and when it starts getting low, you know when it's over. But we don't have that. All we know is that we have the next second. So how do you live that? How do you move forward in that? Well, this is how I try to do that. Um, so I wrote down a couple things uh, that I thought I would highlight how I try to. And I say try to because whatever I say here doesn't mean I do it all the time. Because that's not how life works. Some of you are that consistent and some of you are like me and you're not. But I try to wake up every morning and open God's word. And I say to myself, at least a minute. Like sometimes, oh, I don't have enough time. If I say I have, I got to spend a half an hour in the word, and I don't, I'm like, oh, well, there's a half hour. I woke up late. I, no, one minute. Now, I try to get up earlier, and I always blow by a minute. You'll discover that. If you open up the word of God, some of you open up the word of God means open up your Bibles. For some of you, it means open up your phone. 
um, your computer, whatever it is, as long as it's the word of God, the Bible, and you just start reading. You're going to keep going. You're going to blow by a minute. You may not know what you read, but you commit that time to it because you're committing to say, Lord, what on earth am I here for? Sometimes you hear from him and sometimes you don't, but you do that to put the word of God into your heart. As I'm standing here and I'm repeating these verses, it's because they've been memorized. Sometimes it could just be as simple as that. I'm right now trying to memorize scripture this past week. Didn't put out any effort. Why? Because the week before, there was one verse I couldn't seem to put into my head. But it was that consistency. And that's another thing that we need to do. We need to cultivate this spiritual life. One of the things I try to do is, is I, I consider my spiritual life like farming. Um, I've got to plant that's the word of God. Um, I've got to be with other believers because God speaks through them. Um, I make it a commitment to be a part of the community of faith. I mean, did you notice that Jesus came and didn't just cruise and do speaking engagements all by himself? He could have got a lot more ground covered that way, couldn't he? But he had to drag these 11 other people around. But that's not what it's about. It's important that we're connected with each other. We were just talking about some people that aren't... Um, on the schedule for this morning, and they're here. Why? Because they are also trying to cultivate their hearts, their spirits. They're trying to, to say, Lord, I'm here with you. I need other people. That's how you've designed me. That's how you modeled it. And so since I'm a student of yours, I'm going to live like you did. I'm going to have my crew I walk with. And my crew consistently gathers on Sunday mornings, and I'm going to be there, even when I don't feel like it, even when that person's talking, or that person's talking, or that person's singing songs, or they're singing songs at all, or, oh, it's not a feast Sunday? Well, I'm not coming because I really want to eat. Or, oh, donuts, I hate donuts, but I'm coming. Or someone, oh, there's not enough donuts, or whatever it is, or I don't like the coffee. You don't come for any of those reasons because you're not coming for a selfie. You're coming to give your life away, and you're like, Lord, I'm following you. I'm trusting you, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to trust that what you've modeled for me is the way I should be living my life in community with other believers. That's also why we have life groups and small groups and men's groups and women's groups. That's why I try to participate in some because I need that because God has modeled that. And a lot of times I don't feel like doing that. But I just started a garden. And there are many days I don't feel like dealing with that garden, which is why it's come along so slow. But if I don't deal with that garden, we ain't eating no lettuce. Or peppers. We're trying to save money. Have you figured that out yet? But in our lives, our spiritual life, you're farming that. You're planting the seed. You're watering it. You're digging up the dirt. You're pulling out the weeds. Those are some of the things I'm trying to do. Um, I try to follow Christ in loving my wife, loving my kids, loving others, loving those in the church, loving my friends, loving those around me in, in the sphere of areas where I drive, walk, whatever, um, and my enemies, because Christ has called us to that. What on earth am I here for? And that's how I try to do it. I try to fight for those who are outside the church. Those are some of the ways that I try to do that. The other one, as I've shared recently, um, is uh, I have a note up, and it's in my... Um, uh, we, when we were up in, the, up in L.A., we, I got one of those recliner chairs. It's not a good one. It's a cheap one. It's an Ikea deal. Sorry. And so uh, it's in our living room. And even though it's not a great one, it's so comfortable. 
so good, and I just want to sit in that, and I want to turn on Sports Center, or I want to watch um, Beat Bobby Flay, or I want to watch the Dodgers, which of course we all know down here doesn't happen, but I want to watch these things. And right above uh, the mantle is the TV, and then right on the mantle is the note that I wrote when I was in the hospital when the Lord brought me back. And it says, it's not over. And I leave that as a reminder to me of why I'm here. Because when I wrote that, the Lord said, look, you want to come here to love others and to give more of yourself away? All right. And that's when my wife asked me, do you want to go up? And I went, no, 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 it's not over. And it looks really ugly. My penmanship was horrible with all the stuff going on. But I have to remind myself that. So I'll get out of that chair. There are times to rest. In fact, it's not only that there are times God commands us to rest because he knows that we're finite. But we're here to pour ourselves out. That's why we're here. And I need that to remind me. What do you need to remind you? You need to figure that out because what are you going to do with the time that God has given you? It's to pour yourself out. But how are you going to remind yourself to that? Because we're going to go astray. We all like sheep go, that's just what we do. So we need to get back on the horse and head in the direction that we were called to, to pour our lives out, to serve, to give. So the intention for this series is that it would be done in community. It's not meant to be experienced. All these series are not meant to be experienced on just Sunday mornings. You won't get what we're hoping God will give you from that. So what we're asking you to do um, and we've been doing it for a while now, is you need to decide what group are you going to join because this is the first week. We've had sign-ups. Um, we're going to continue to have sign-ups. But for six weeks, we want everyone to choose one group. There's a few men's groups. There's a few women's groups. Uh, there are small groups that are open. Um, we want you to choose your group. How do you do this? You can go to the website. You can fill it out on the connection card. You can, um, you know what, we'll do this uh, Sarah's on this morning, so Sarah will be standing up here. So if you want to sign up, you're like, hey, I, I don't know how to use a computer. I don't know how to use my phone. I don't know how to email to the church. I need a person to face. Then you will see Sarah right here. She just smiles. That's how you know it's her because she's always smiling. She'll be right here. Whatever it takes, what group are you going to join? And then who are you going to invite to your group? You're like, I'm already in one. I'm just going to grab some more coffee and donuts. I'm out of here. No, who are you going to invite to walk this with you for six weeks? You just say it like this. Hey, we're trying to answer this question. What am I, earth am I here for? You want to join me? We're going to check it out. It's only six weeks. Um, you can come for one week and leave. But what, you want to come? Why not invite someone? And who are you going to invite next Sunday? This is all meant to be lived in community. And for that to happen, we want to invite others into that. That's how I even got to where I'm at right now, understanding God's amazing love for me and being able to answer that question, what on earth am I here for? Because someone invited me. That's what we do. In fact, that is the only thing you can do here on earth that you can't do in heaven. Did you realize that? That's why we say we're a church for people and go to church. The only thing you can do here on earth, other than sin, that you can't do in heaven is invite others into the kingdom of God. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. They're going to um, lead us in prayer. If you could stand with me.
And I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I ask that you would open up our eyes, that you would make clear to us what on earth are we here for. May my words fade into the background, and may all that's left, all that sticks, are the words from you. We surrender to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.